next on Rugby Wrap-Up, George Hook, Steve Lewis, and Matt McCarthy on the Autumn Nations Cup, Fiji's COVID crisis, and Los Pumas. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub, the Murphy Kennedy Group, founded with the idea that construction can be done better, and Lean and Limber, stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy in Midtown Manhattan. Good to have you back. And I am joined by two juggernauts of the global rugby landscape uh, in Manhattan. Mr. Stephen Lewis on the Upper West Side. He is tanned from his trip to Mexico. He's not going to tell us any stories. And from across the pond in Ireland, in Dublin, Mr. George Hook, who often at this time of year would be in Portugal. George, I'll welcome you first. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be back on the premier rugby television show, not just in North America, but possibly in the whole Northern Hemisphere. Thank you. Thank you. I, I will not disagree with you at all. And Stephen, welcome to you. Good afternoon. How are you doing? So, guys, uh, we have a little bit of rugby going on, despite the fact that the pandemic is shutting down certain organizations like Fiji, which earlier this week had 29 cases of the covid reported and after they lost in a 28 nothing official score to france their match against italy has now been suspended is that right steven that is correct yep the um i don't know what's going on in there with the management it's like a reverse bubble how you can get that many um positive tests but unfortunately they missed the game against france the game against italy has now been cancelled and i pretty much think their participation in this tournament is is uh, unfortunately done for. Is that on the fault? Is that the fault of World Rugby? Is it the fault of the Six Nations or the Eight Nations set up? Is it, is it the fault of the Fiji staff or is it all of the above? Um, there's a danger here. I may go on forever, but I'll try and be quick. The problem is not with rugby. The problem is actually with uh, the pandemic itself and how governments and health authorities are dealing with it. So, like, the Irish soccer team loses two of its players because they sat in the wrong seats on the aeroplane. And um, the whole testing procedure is in doubt. I'm with Steve. I simply do not know how you can get 29 guys in a squad to test positive. I mean, clearly, there's only one way you can do that, and that is to have zero discipline and that's the only way it can happen if there is no other to the best of my knowledge case certainly in international rugby but probably in international team sports where you have that kind of level and it's about discipline it's where have they been we've seen it with some of the british players uh, the english players i should say uh, and various other things where they just have no discipline yeah we just had a report of tightheads dropping in Super Rugby down in Australia, the Super Rugby Unlocked, uh, putting that in jeopardy as well. But we did have some rugby played, and we had Friday Night Lights kicking us off in the Eight Nations or the Autumn Nations Cup, George. And I know that you were upset that CJ Standard didn't play, but you were tickled pink to see Quinn Rue and James Lowe with Lowy getting his first try in his first test match for Ireland. Yes, and of course... Uh... 
Gibson Park. I mean, uh, the Irish Tourist Board with all these holidaymakers who come over now and we give them passports to an Irish shirt. I am very unhappy about it. So let's take a pass on that. Instead of which, look, look at Ireland. Uh, the position of Ireland sit proudly at the top of the third division. There is no second division and England and France are in the first division. Let's look at Ireland because that's what you want to hear about. Um, um, scrummage, very, very good. Back row, outstanding. Line out, pretty good. Forwards in general, reasonable. And then you hit a minefield. Uh, the the first choice for halfbacks are beyond their sell-by date. Uh, the captaincy is appalling. Uh, the back play is juvenile. And if any coach worthy of the name who picks the worst defender in the whole of the island to play at full back certainly needs to be asked the question. So Ireland are dreadful. They are only less dreadful than Wales. Wales would Oof. have beaten by would have been beaten by the Loreto convent under 17s. I was grateful, Stephen, that you didn't have to suffer through that match with me at 2 p.m. And the only consolation is I was at the pig and whistle. But you know, 2 p.m. here in New York because it was Friday night lights over there. But that was just an awful match to watch. And you know, if, I, if I'm Ireland, I'm going to just start blooding players going into these matches because what's what? Who cares? It's, all right, it was 32-19, but who cares? And Welsh fans are on on the internet, and half of them now are waffling whether they let Warren Gatlin go too early. And is it wait? Is it Pivak or Pivots? How do you say his last name? How long do you do you go with him, Steve? Thank you, Pivak. Um... He gets another. He gets another two, three games. I would imagine, but six in a row for Wales to lose or any professional team to lose is, you know, obviously they're under the under the gun. Um, but what is this tournament anyway? You know, um, for me, high level rugby right now is formulaic. You scrum to get a penalty. You kick to the corner. You maul it over. Defenses are too organised. Rugby is not entertaining right now. And the Autumn Nations Cup, which is really just dreamed up to replenish the coffers of the home unions. Um, and without fans, there's just no, there's no pomp and circumstance. There's no intensity. Um, it, it's not a great tournament. It's not particularly exciting. Um, I, I really don't know. There's not many positives about it for me. Um, probably the only one, in fact, is that Scotland are performing reasonably. Um, they're now five on the bounce. They won five in a row. Toughed it out against Italy and Florence. Uh, of all places last weekend uh, without either of their top top guns, uh, Finn Russell or Adam Hastings. They had the uh, man with the Scottish afro, Duncan Weir, back at 10. Yeah, great, and great afro. A, a, credible, a creditable win, a bit more steel in their pack, shall we say. And I have a similar problem to George with uh, all of our South African project players. Duhan van der Merwe is a magnificent athlete, will be a great winger. And he'll be a great asset to a Scotland rugby team, but he's not Scottish. And George, you, you, you know, you have this sprinkling and you have this eligibility question, but everybody's doing it. So unless everybody stops doing it, it's not going to end. So uh, do you embrace the players or do you continue to scoff? 
Well, as long as you have Billy Beaumont at the head of World Rugby, nothing's going to change because Billy Beaumont doesn't do change. Billy Beaumont is probably the, the most conservative administrator I've met in my entire life. So he's not going to make change. This is going to go on forever, despite the efforts of Pichot of Argentina, who was cruelly treated in, in, in the vice presidency stuff, where you have uh, a French guy under investigation by his own police force. You have a, a convicted felon in Fiji uh, was... Um, the best pal of Billy Bowman and so on. So world rugby is a lot to ask itself. It's the not Frank Keens. All, it's not all good. Now the, the again, Steve is so right. This is a dreadful game. This is an awful game. But it's an awful northern hemisphere game. Like if you look at that Argentinian side, hadn't played a game in over a year, and they beat the old guy. And they, they've got, what, five kids pretty well laid blood? You look at Italy, who did incredibly well against Scotland, didn't get enough credit for it. Kids, they bring 20-year-old fly half, a young prop forwards. So, like, and then you look at Ireland, which, you know, they select from the local St. Vincent de Paul uh, dollar dinner lunches or whatever. I mean, we're going nowhere. And we are playing despite the best efforts of not playing the unadulterated crap that Joe Schmidt presented, we still, we now trying to turn, as my mother used to say, uh, uh, a sow's ear into a silk purse, and you can't do it. So this game is not heading in the right direction. It's heading in the right, well, it never went away in the Southern Hemisphere. The game's awful. The game's yeah, but you know what? If, if COVID hadn't interrupted, I was really looking forward to that France-Fiji game. That, that intrigued me. And that might have been the one saving grace for the whole tournament in terms of, okay, now we see why this is worthwhile. It gives a leg up or a hand down to some of these Tier 2 nations, Georgia and Fiji. And that, that brings us to England versus Georgia. 40-zip. And George, you could talk about Jamie George beating Georgia. Is this a necessary evil? Or is it counterproductive for, for a country like Georgia? I, I mean, you know, the only side that Georgia could conceivably replace is not going to happen in the Six Nations is Italy. Italy are what, 25 games without a win or something? So Italy shouldn't really be in the Six Nations, but they are. Georgia are not going to be there, so it's absolutely irrelevant. Um, it's no coincidence that Lourdes is in France because the only miracle that is currently taking place in Northern Hemisphere rugby is the way France played a game under Fabien Galtier. And England will continue to play the kind of, you know, uh, strong arm tactics that they continue to employ. With, interestingly, the wrong fly half, but it's not totally their fault because George Ford isn't available. But Farrell continues like there used to be a fellow in fiction called a saint who really was a master cracksman but always got away with the crimes well i mean farrell continues to get away with the crime every week and never gets uh, penalized for it he's a bad captain he's a bad fly half well he uh, shouldn't be the captain because of his checkered past and his proclivity for penalties that he gets away with um, but I, I still think he's a great fly half I'd want him on my team. 
sorry, the word great is spelled G-R-E-A-T and it is rarely used until somebody is great. Uh-huh. And, and I can tell you, the Farrell is not great. If Farrell is put up against, and if you want me to start with Jackie Kyle in 1947, I'd work my way through all the Irish fly halves. We don't have time for that just now. But he is average. Bridge version. He is average. Okay. We can we can disagree on that, Steve. Hey, you know, again, it's a democracy. Yeah, you know, despite the Democrats being in power, it's a democracy over there. Yes, hook the righty to something you said about five points ago. Um, Taylor, two coaches, you look at Pivac Wales, right, who's brought in to play a more entertaining brand because they weren't satisfied with Gatlin's success rate and his style of rugby, the Welsh-like style. So he has failed. Gregor Townsend, who was promoted with, um, from his great Glasgow days, swashbuckling, we're going to play the fastest rugby in the world, has had to recalibrate. Since he's recalibrated back to this efficient, boring style, Scotland have become more successful. So that's a fundamental problem when you have success and entertainment at such odds, which is the modern game. Um, with regard to Farrell, you know where I stand, and uh, great is not a word that would come to mind. Okay, fair enough. And speaking to Gatlin's record with Wales, watch. 52%. Who do you want to watch? Finn Russell, Richie Bayonga, or Farrell? Who do you want pulling the strings? Well, how about the world's best fly half that's not playing fly half in Bowdoin Barrett? No? Yeah, how many blind alleys do you want to go down, McCarthy? Yeah, okay. Andre like, Pollard? You have, you have, without a shadow of that, on your program tonight, two of the finest analysts of rugby union it has ever seen. I'm you just know? an American. What do I know? I, I mean, Andre yeah. Pollard's carrying the, the cup around in his back pocket, oh. though. All right. Okay. Like, we won't even discuss. Like, I mean, look, just talk about France for a moment. Look at the halfbacks in France. Like, Very good. It's just wonderful to watch them. Um, you look even at Italy with that 20-year-old kid at fly half. You're looking teams at teams who are attempting to play the game as it was at rugby school 150 years ago when he picked up the ball and in defiance of the rules at the time, he ran with it. Now, in what we're looking at is a, is a bastardization of a great game. And the only safe, the only feature of it that is interesting is it may go bust. Now, if it goes bust, as I think there's a reasonable possibility, then we're going to hear a large thud in Manhattan if it goes bust. And then you could have amateur rugby and we could see the real game again. Huh. All right, we can cover amateur rugby. All right, let's take a quick break, guys, and then we're going to come back and touch upon that match that happened in Australia that had people shaking in their seats. We'll be right back with Mr. George Hook and Mr. Steve Lewis after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle, on West 36th Street. And we are back. Steve Lewis, George Hook, Matt McCarthy. Guys, uh, we left off with a cliffhanger about that match in Australia. I believe it was Parramatta. 
that it was played. Um, New Zealand versus Argentina. Who'd have thunk, Stephen? Yeah, well, so, so this is actually a, a positive rugby story, right? Here's, here's a team through, you know, brute skill, effort, and sheer power of will won a game, won a historic game against the All Blacks. They hadn't played for a year. They're practicing in a garage. They're practicing in a back garden. They came together. They represented their country proudly, and they put one over the All Blacks. That, that's the best story that's in rugby in the last three months, and uh, credit to them. Pablo Matera, right? Unbelievable. Your new boyfriend, yep. He's, uh, he certainly covered himself in glory this last weekend as a captain and as a player. Sure. He's got a good old-fashioned Dan Power man crush on this guy, George. That number six, you got to love a guy like that on your team. Yeah, but there, there was another thing which, you know, we, us Northern Hemisphere people, noticed. There was a crowd at the game. Exactly. You know, like, like what Australia and New Zealand have done, and we're not going down the pandemic route anymore. Well, it sounds but, like we are. But, but despite a lot of sensible uh, planning, they've got crowds at games. And you can have all the fake sounds you like, but whether it's the Masters golf or, or whether it's rugby, without a crowd, it is no good. And, and I, it's so good to see crowds in the Southern Hemisphere. As for Argentina, I mean, Steve said it all. He doesn't need me to say anything. It was, it was just heartwarming. It was just wonderful. And now look at New Zealand. Two losses in a row. Like, I mean, I suspect there was probably a midnight cabinet meeting. The government may fall, you know. Um, I mean, this is serious stuff for them, two matches in a row. Fans were distraught after they lost to Australia. And they, they were, it was like the end of the world. And they were commenting all over the Internet. And those of us were like, you got to be kidding, right? You, you lost, you lose one match every 50 weeks. There's, a, there's an undercurrent there, right? And there's been something of a sort of um, a climate of uh, suspicion about the, the appointment of Forster as coach. A lot of people were aggrieved that it wasn't given to, you know, Razor Robertson, Flavor of the Month, and it went to Foster. And there's almost been a segment of the New Zealand press and public that have been looking for him to fail. Um, and that's in a country where, where this happens, where rugby is a passion, right? So it has come to pass. They have... Uh, for them, failed by losing two consecutive games. The knives are out. Um, they, uh, that management team is under significant pressure the next time they pull on those black jerseys. And in many respects, it was a subpar performance by players rather than coaching team, in my opinion. Steve, you mentioned Robertson. George, have you heard any of the whispers over there about Robertson going to Wales? And no, the pandemic has shut us all down here. So, like, I haven't been outside the house since St. Patrick's Day to, to you Irish people. It's the 17th of March. Uh, so, like, we don't hear very much. I mean, what, what are you getting quite, your news with a glass to the door? No, but I mean that quite seriously. You know, what has happened with rugby in Ireland? And, and, and to be honest, you know, it's happened in the home nations, as we call Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales. The lack of crowds has filtered in to television and has filtered in to, to people generally. I mean, somebody called me today and said to me today, is the English match next weekend or the weekend after? Now, like in 70 years, 
nobody has ever said when is yeah. the England game. So yeah. there is, and, and it's serious. I mean, I know I joke a lot with you, but, but it's very serious where this game lies at the moment uh, in the home nations. Because like for, for so long, the richest rugby union in the world was Ireland. And that was primarily during the amateur year, obviously, where it husbanded its resources. It is now bust. The RFU is bust. If you, if you had an accountant look at their accounts, he would declare them bust. But they're waiting for the government to give them money. Me, as a taxpayer, I'd be totally unhappy if the government gave money to a sport instead of giving it to people who are out of work. It's good but thing you don't live in New Zealand. Over. This story is not over. I am, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about the game. Deeply concerned. Well, there's no doubt that this, this is a crippling, crippling event in our time. And it's, you know, rugby is just part of it. It's crippling everything. And are we going to collectively all fall or who's going to be left standing? It's yet to be seen. You know, we, we've heard the, the, the echoes of vaccinations coming upon, uh, coming out and the implementation of it. But really, even if the vaccines, everybody was vaccinated tomorrow, we'd still have all of this to dig out from under. And Steve, you're front and center with, with being a GM with Rugby United New York and the Major League Rugby setup. You, you know about this more than anybody. No, there, there were stresses and strains in the professional game of rugby when you were allowed crowds. Okay, the thing was, creaking, particularly the, the club game. Um, now, if we go into a further six nations without crowds, with those national unions in Scotland, England, Ireland, uh, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, for sure, are, are scuppered. England have their own issues. Those clubs in the Premiership won't sustain it. Australia are in trouble. Um, South Africa aren't playing. I mean, whether the professional game, I think, is, is what George is saying, and one has to agree. It was, it was already under stress. It could be unrecognisable in 12 months' time. All right, so I mean less. We're running out of time, but I, I should they play the rest of these Autumn's Nations Cup matches with Fiji completely out of it with COVID? Well, they have to. They've taken the money from Amazon. They'll play the games. And how how horrible is it that we finally get an Amazon involved in this, and this is what they have? But George, to your point about the crowds. This is a, actually an excuse for some setups where they had no crowds. South Africa, for instance, with their, their matches, they had nobody in the stands. Look, this is very complicated. And I, profess, I don't profess to have any answer to it. But for the first time in its history, the ruling bodies of the game, the, the, the eight founder members of, of the International Rugby Board, the five nations, the five home the five home nations and the three southern hemisphere nations are all effectively bust as a group. The game itself is struggling. I think it's possible that this game may survive, Ireland versus England or whatever. It then may survive with a kind of a Pro 14 of Leinster against the Dragons or whatever. But I can tell you from an Irish point of view, the bulwark of the game, which is our club rugby, and Steve will know about clubs like West of Scotland or Hoyk or all Edinburgh Academicals or all these teams that were the bedrock 
of Scottish rugby and Irish rugby. And Scottish and Irish rugby are cousins. There's no question about that. If that game goes, you just can't have young fellas in some kind of a greenhouse and they don't play any rugby and then they come out and suddenly they play professional rugby. It won't work. This is as worrying now for the sport as it is for the economy. You know, it's, it's, it's very worrying. And Steve knows because he, he said it. This was creaking before this. You know, this is just maybe somebody's turning off the life support. Well, here comes the ultimate optimist. I think it's a chance for a reset. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping I, I, have, I have no other choice but to feel that way and think that way. Uh, final thoughts, Stephen. There has, to, there has to be, we have to hope for a positive future so there's money in rugby so you can up, upscale your wardrobe because it's really looking a bit. Uh, I have my bit, Team Corb shirt on. A bit threadbare these days. Clean shirt. How about it? Team Corbs. Okay. Good cause. Good cause. We'll let you off with that one. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know that you were monitoring my wardrobe. I'll, I'll try to do a better job. Jo uh, George, aside from my wardrobe, final thoughts? Sadly for me, I don't know. I am in a position where I really don't know. For all my certainty about many issues, where the game of rugby is at this moment in time in 2020, I have no idea. But unlike you, I am pessimistic rather than optimistic. Wow, you guys are just a, more fun than a barrel of monkeys. Uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? On that note, on behalf of Mr. George Hook calling in from Dublin, Mr. Steve Lewis calling in from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I'm Matt McCarthy in Midtown Manhattan for Rugby Wrap-Up, signing off. Go Pumas! Go Pumas!